0: Welcome to the Export. I'm Raven X and alongside me as always is Biggie aka Ethan Tate aka somebody who I am sure has his eyes glued to the divisional round rematch between the Bengals and Titans this upcoming Sunday. How you doing today Ethan? I'm good. Um,
1: Holiday season is upon us. Looking forward to spending time with family, Um, eating good. So yeah I'm excited.
0: I got you. Admittedly I'd be lying if I said I was the biggest proponent of Thanksgiving, but it's always a great thing to be thankful for. So in the sports realm, what are you thankful for at this point of the respective seasons?
2: Um,
1: the Grizzlies have an uh, above 500 record with all the
2: injuries that I have sustained.
0: That's true. That's a good one. For me, if I had to pick one. Baltimore. You know what? I'll say LSU looking great in the first year under Brian Kelly. I mean, if you would have told me we would have be Bama and Florida, I would have took that 10 times out of 10. But the fact that we are going to be vying for an SEC championship first year of Brian Kelly, especially because it wasn't exactly the best start, I mean. I'd be happy for that. But we got a couple other things to talk about with regards to happiness. The Jets and their unhappiness with Zach Wilson. Has he done reputable damage to the locker room? We're also going to discuss if Travis Kelsey truly is the greatest tight end of all time. And then we are going to talk some of the latest injury news around the NBA and if the Grizzlies should be concerned about John Morant's latest ankle injury. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the x Report.net. I repeat the for exclusive sports content written by yours, truly, and fellow export writers for these episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X-Report. So without further ado, Let's go ahead and kick this bad boy off with our college football player, Spotlight, which is going to go on redshirt sophomore, cornerback out of Georgia, Keely Ringo. Considered the top cornerback of this year's class. He has been a pretty lockdown corner this year. Um, Already has a pick, three pass deflections. Very few balls have come this his way during this season. And let's be honest, we could all use a boost Star secondary, but Ethan, what team do you think could really use him on the back end? Um,
1: Seeing is how they just got torched in a sense. I'm definitely gonna have to say the Cardinals.
0: I've been banging the drum on get them getting corners even before Patrick Peterson left but it's been really bad since Pat P left. So, yeah, I would agree with you. I think that'd be a good one. I'm going to say the Detroit Lions. I mean, the last few games have been okay for them defensively, but, I mean, their secondary has still had it rough. I mean, Jeff Okuda has shown some flashes, but injuries continue to kind of keep him off the field. You get a guy like Keely Ringo up there, um, he can help kind of fortify that secondary. And then, of course, Aiden Hutchinson making that front seven look pretty good. And I think the Lions' defense will be making a lot of steps in the right direction. All right, let's go ahead and look back at Week 11 with this quick recap. Starting with Thursday Night Football, Tennessee Titans beat the Packers at Lambeau 27-17. to Lions upset Giants 31-18. to Ravens win an ugly one against the Panthers 13-3. Uh, Raiders get the better of the Broncos 22 16 in overtime. Eagles come back against the Colts 17-16. Saints beats Rams 27-20. Falcons defeat Bears as Cordell Patterson makes history 27-24. Washington Commanders continue their win streak against the Texans 23-10. Patriots win an ugly one against the Jets 10-3. Uh Bills beat the Browns 31-23. Bengals even the series against the Steelers 37 to 30. Cowboys destroy the Vikings 40 to 3. Chiefs beat the Chargers Sunday night football 30 to 27 and Monday night football 49ers defeat the Cardinals 38 to 10. I went 8 and 5 on the week. Ethan went 10 and 3. And Especially compared to last week, it was not too many injuries. Unfortunately, the Giants are going to lose rookie wide receiver Wandale Robinson for the rest of the year with the torn ACL. Uh, Chiefs lose running back Clyde edwards alaire for at least the next four weeks after, he's, after he was put on IR with the high ankle sprain. And the Falcons are going to lose tight end Kyle Pitts for the rest of the year with the torn MCL. So, Kind of sucks to see those guys go down, but no really big name injuries thus far. But all right, Ethan, what would you say uh, is your top number five takeaway of this past week?
1: Number five takeaway, Um, we're going to have to put some respect on Cordell Patterson as probably the greatest returner of all time. Granted, I understand we have Demons in their category, so I'm leaning More towards Devin Hessley. He's so into that. But this lane broke the record for the most kick return touchdowns this past Sunday. And, like, he's doing it. I forget what year he's in, but he's updating
2: years. Think 10.
0: Think year 10. Because he, I want to say he got drafted in 2013. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's balling. Um, for me, uh, my number five actually comes from that same game. But I'm going to say while his rushing numbers were impressive, Justin Fields still has a lot of work to do as a passer. I mean, I I do believe that he did suffer a shoulder injury, which affected him in the latter parts of the games. But, I mean, it's one of those things where he's rushing for a, a lot of yards, which is great. But when you put the ball in his hands and he has to throw, defenses don't fear him as much. He kind of takes away some of his uh, dynamic play. And so because of that, I do think that Justin Fields needs to get better in that arena before we can really get excited about him and what he brings to the Bears, just because right now he kind of seems like a one-trick pony who, like I said, isn't really helping them win games.
1: Um, For me, number four, are the Cowboys the biggest enigma in the NFL? Um, Going into this game against the Vikings, we all had a ton of questions of like, hey, are the Cowboys actually serious? that had shown some signs of mortality in games prior, even lost a couple of games that they, they shouldn't, in a lot of people's eyes, they shouldn't have lost. Um, And then you put them up against the Vikings, a team that at the time was looking like maybe outside of Buffalo, the best team in the NFL. And they beat them, what, 40 to 3? Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, how? Like, how does this happen? And we all know that the Cowboys front seven is amazing. But, yeah, it's to me, if I were to say who's the biggest Boomer Bush team by time the playoffs, I'm going to put my step on the Cowboys.
0: Yeah, honestly, I, I think I'd have to agree with you there. Either them or the Vikings, because both have been really hard to kind of gauge. All right, uh, my number four is healthy Kyler Murray or not, the Cardinals are a notch or two above being a team on the brink of a rebuild. I get it. You have stars like uh DeAndre Hopkins, who is still who was playing like a top five wideout since his return. Um, Kyler Murray, of course, you just give him all this money. JJ Watt is a future Hall of Famer, but it's like the Cardinals to me are a team that I wasn't that excited about going into the year. And my excitement for them has only waned just because they're not good. Like it, The games that they win, it takes some extraordinary circumstances for them to pull those wins out. And I don't want to say get lucky, but they're not a team that I'm excited about or I think is really going to be a threat in the future. I think they have a lot of work to do before they can really be considered a playoff threat, especially because the NFC West is so good around them, excluding the Rams, of course. So yeah, I'm not really buying the whole Cardinals on the come-up type deal.
1: Continued information of the AFC West by Patrick Holmes and Travis Kelsey. Me and you talked about it off air. Um, how for whatever reason within their division nobody can cover Travis Kelsey, and it further proved himself. Further proved himself again this past Sunday against the Chargers. I didn't get a chance to watch the game. I know
2: you did, but I just saw the numbers, and it's like. This man ate and
1: went off again. So it's kind of just like, I feel like with them, just them being in their division alone, basically might guarantee them like a solid six wins of their season.
0: Yeah, because I think if I have the numbers right, Patrick Mahomes has won all 14 of his road divisional games. And I want to say he hasn't lost a game to a divisional opponent in November or December for like maybe throughout his whole career, something ridiculous. Like the total domination that he had, he and the Chiefs have over the rest of that division, no matter who is put in front of him is, is, is insane. And it's funny you mentioned the Chiefs is your number three, cause they're also my number three, but it's on a broader scale. Um, the Chiefs look like the best team in the league. The Bills over the past couple of weeks have been kind of looked a bit subdued. The Eagles, the Eagles, barely made it out of Indianapolis alive looked really sloppy for the first three and a half quarters and I mean the Chiefs I mean what their losses to the Bills that was a tough one but of course came down to the wire the loss to the Colts was kind of unexpected but I mean other than that I mean they just play a great game sure their defense isn't amazing especially their secondary but they always find a way to get a Job done, and I mean it's impossible to count out Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. So if you had to ask me right now, they look like the best team in the league, and I don't think it's really close. Um,
1: my number two, and you just stated, have the Philadelphia Eagles show signs of mortality? Like this was a team going into honestly, what? Not even this past game, but the game before last, they was looking like an unstoppable juggernaut and they've taken their first loss to the
2: Commanders, which, honestly, me and you both have stated, I
1: think that was a good loss for them because it was it was one of those things to where they weren't going to get the big head and think like, oh, this is going to be easy. It was it's one of those um, championship DVD loss type things that you see. Like, oh, they were 8-0, no, 7-0, they lost this game. It brought them back to reality, and they were having to turn it on, just turn it back on. But you go to the next game against the Colts, a team that, in my opinion, is one of the worst teams in the NFL, and you're barely able to get up, much to seventeen points. So yeah, I definitely, I definitely think that they've kind of, um, what's the word I'm trying to look for, regression.
0: I'd agree with that. Moving on to uh, my number two, this this one, actually my next two takeaways hit close to home, but starting off in Baltimore, I mean, Patrick Queen has arrived. A few weeks ago when Roquan Smith uh, made his way to Baltimore via trade, everybody knows, I was incredibly excited. And still am very happy to have uh, Roquan Smith in tow. But because he's there, it has really also helped to open up some things for Patrick Queen, who was already having a pretty good year overall. And just these last three games have really kind of exemplified that. Um, This past Sunday against the Panthers, led the team in tackles, had 12, had half a sack, was all over the field. I mean, he's really just kind of coming to his own as a linebacker, and i it's been a joy to watch. And I mean, I've talked about this with you, and I've said it you know, in other conversations, how Baltimore is a team that really thrives on its linebackers. If their linebackers are doing great, everything else around them is going to come to form. And with the play of Roquan and PQ, I mean, our defense is really making steps in the right direction. I'm so excited to see what we're going to be able to do.
1: My number one and I know we're going to talk about it later, but the New York Jets need to find a way, I won't even say get to getting a franchise
2: quarterback with just a steady
1: game managing level quarterback. Um, Because in my opinion, especially this past loss to the Patriots, if they would have had a guy, I'm going to throw out a name, they would have had a Jimmy Garoppolo who isn't a sexy quarterback. From the standpoint, that he's not production numbers. He's just a really steady quarterback. I think they would have won that game, and I think that they would have won oh, more yeah. games. They they might have a completely drastically better record because of it because their defense is amazing. Granny, Brees Hall. Um, he got hurt, but when he was into. He was the thing that was carrying that offense. And now that he's gone, you're putting more pressure on Zach Wilson. And honestly, Zach Wilson just shown to be like an immature kid and shouldn't even be in the NFL, quite like, honestly. Um, and I think if they are able to get a – like they don't need to get a guy, in my opinion, they don't need a guy like a – like they don't need a Lamar
0: Jackson or – Aaron Rodgers, if they could get a guy like a Kirk Cousins, yeah, like a Kirk Cousins, a Jimmy G, um, just a get a game manager, they can play complimentary football to their defense. They could be a superiorly better team. I feel you. All right, and then my number one. I'm not a Cowboys fan, but I love seeing Tony Pollard ball out, especially because this week kind of cemented for me, but. Uh, Tony Pollard has played himself into the top five best running backs this season. I mean, everybody, you and I have talked about it a lot, about how we felt like Tony Pollard deserved more touches. And unfortunately, the Cowboys have been so gung-ho and been like, no, Zeke is our guy. And Zeke gets these of carries, average is maybe three yards per carry. And then Tony Pollard comes in after Zeke goes down and is just on an absolute tear. I mean, he is... To see just how explosive he is when he's on the field just kind of speaks to the value of he is. And just imagine how much more productive and how much on the national front he would have been on had he gotten this play, type of playing time in years past and I think this Vikings game kind of really just exemplifies that had 15 carries for 80 yards which is a good for 5.3 yards per carry compared to Zeke who had 15 carries for 42 yards and only averaged 8.2 and he also has six receptions for 109 yards two touchdowns by the way he is a former wide receiver played wide receiver for much of his time in Memphis but just Tony Pollard is a bad man, and I can't find five other running backs in the league right now who have been better than him this season. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our most impressive players. Offensively, who you got?
2: Offensively, um,
1: I got to go with Travis. I got to go with the combo of uh, Travis and Patrick
2: Mahomes.
0: It's hard to go against him. Yeah, I'm going to kill. I went kill a Trav as well. I mean, just. No matter who was on him, he made plays. And, I mean, it's always better when you get that Defensively, who you got?
2: Defensively, um,
1: honestly, I got to go with the whole Cowboys defense. You held a Vikings offense that has Alvin Cook and Justin Jefferson to three points. Like, if that isn't, like, noteworthy, I don't know what it is.
0: I feel you. I just went with Micah Parsons, but I mean, I really could have went with the whole defense. Overall, they had seven sacks. Micah himself had nine pressures, two sacks, and a forced fumble. But I mean, overall, their defense was especially that front was absolutely lights out. All right, who's the most disappointing player for you? Most
1: disappointing? Um, I'm gonna say Zach Wilson for the simple fact of Yes, he's on the field, play, but with the fact that he wasn't man enough the his
0: accountability after. That is problematic. Um, I do agree with you on that front. I think I will go – actually, no, I'm going to go with Patrick Sartan. I mean, Pat Sartan has had a amazing season up until this past week. Where I mean, don't get me wrong, everybody in their mama knows that Devontae Adams is a terrific receiver, but if there was a worse time to give up a play, Pat Sartan did it. And so I do think that because of that, when you're one of your team's best players, if not the best defensive player, you get held to a higher standard. And so because of that, I got to rag on him a little bit because you expect more out of a guy like Pat Sartan, especially a player of his level. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our Rookie of the Week. We might have the same person. I'm to let you go first. I got Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson, we all know him as a pass rusher, but I mean – He's made some pretty great plays in coverage. I mean, had a pick. I think that's his second or third of the year, which is funny because coming into the year, he said that like he had never gotten an interception before. So shout out to him to getting ball skills on the NFL level. Uh, also had a fumble recovery. Deep really helped the defense make some great plays to shut down this Giants' offense. Yeah, I'm in agreement.
1: Aiden Hutchinson, he definitely balled out, and it's funny. this The Detroit Lions, they're actually becoming a good football team. And they might get better because they have, they can potentially have a top-team pick because of the Rams.
0: Yeah, I mean, shout-out to – I mean, I know the Rams aren't complaining too much because they did get a a Super Bowl out of it. But, I mean, they're just going to add more firepower to that squad that's progressively been getting better. All right, let's go ahead and move on to some league news. Starting in Atlanta, they've signed longtime NFL linebacker Will Compton to a deal. So, congratulations to both of those sides. And then there were a few other cuts with regards to running backs. The Denver Broncos have announced that they have waived longtime running back Melvin Gordon while the Los Angeles Rams have waived multiple players, including starting running back Daryl Henderson, which sucks because, you know, hey, see a Memphis man lose his job. But, all right, let's put, get, put on our GM hats. Ethan, if you had to pick between two these two running backs, which one would you prefer, Daryl Henderson or Melvin Gordon? Honestly, Daryl Henderson,
1: he's younger, in my opinion. He, at this point in his career, he's a better back. Um... And yeah, like that really is fine. And I just also like the versatility that he brings. Like especially, you know out of, out of Tennessee, if y'all wanna make a call to help take some of the load out there, Henry, I wouldn't
0: mind. I feel you. Uh for me, I would go um I'm also going Daryl Henderson. Probably the biggest reason why I would give him the nine over Melvin Gordon is just the fumbles. There were so many fumbles and so many bad decisions that Melvin Gordon made throughout the year that, I mean, honestly did cost them a lot of games. You cannot have that when you're trying to, you know, vie for a Super Bowl. And of course, he's not the biggest problem that the Broncos have had this season, but he absolutely has not helped. So I do think that once they're able to get that run game together and be able to clean up a lot of those fumbles. I think that the Broncos will be in a much better position than they previously were in. But all right, let's and keep it going. into to a guy who I care a lot about, Jameis Winston, been rooting for him since his days in Tampa. However, it seems that his time as a starter in New Orleans may have come to an end, which he finally opened up about and said that it did actually hurt him. Um, In a recent uh interview following a practice, he said this regarding the loss of his job. He said, it hurts my soul and that's all I can say. I lost my job due to injury and the policy has always been you don't lose your job because of an injury and that's what happened. While I do think that his injury did open the door for Andy Dolan to start, it's not like his numbers were all that great when he did play. Uh, The first three games of the season had completed 63.71% of his passes, which is great, but only had uh, four touchdowns compared to five picks. So Ethan, do you feel like What do you feel was more responsible for Jameis' loss of job, his injury, or do you think his play had a bigger part?
1: I think it was both equally a part of it because he wasn't playing well before he got injured. Then he got injured, and honestly, Andy Dalton came in. He kind of steadied the ship. So I I wouldn't necessarily say that he lost his job because he got hurt. I think what happened was you weren't playing good. It'll be different if, like, let's start a hypothetical. Like, let's say his first couple of games, he had, like, eight touchdowns and no interceptions. And then he got hurt. And then he lost his job. Then it's kind of like, okay, y'all, I, I lost my job to my first situation. But when you, when you aren't playing great, you get hurt and then somebody comes in and they play essentially better than you, like, that's just a part of the NFL. And it's not like, and I hate to say it this way, but it's not like Jameis is a household, like, top-tier level quarterback. So he's more likely to lose his job than, let's say, uh, Aaron Rodgers.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, if we're talking Saints, it's not like Drew Brees lost his job to Andy Dalton. You know, so, yeah, no, I would agree with you in that. sense. I do think it was a mix of both. But, I mean, the last taste that he put, you know, in the Saints' mouth was not exactly a great one. And I hope he does get another job. I mean, Andy Dalton hasn't been awesome this year. This past uh game against the Rams was pretty good. But, overall, he hasn't been spectacular. But I do think that right now he and Jameis, up to this point, probably be playing at the same level. So, it's not – Unless Andy Dalton, like, totally crashed the bed, has a multi-interception game, I don't see Jameis getting his job back, unfortunately. But uh, let's go ahead and move on to something that was a pretty cool talking point. Everybody's talking about how Daniel Ramsey called out LeBron James for reportedly capping, which, I mean, he absolutely does. But that was another interesting talking point between the two. As the two were watching uh in the shop uh edition of Thursday Night Football, as they were watching the game, uh NFL. LeBron James talked about the opportunity for him to play in the NFL, to which Jalen Ramsey responded, everybody in the NFL locker room says the same thing. LeBron would have got strapped if he was in the league. Of course, in response, LeBron James said that he would give uh, Jalen Ramsey that work, especially in the red zone, which has got me to thinking, matched up one-on-one, who would win the rep, LeBron or Jalen Ramsey? Because I'm going Jalen Ramsey. We're gonna say LeBron right now, cause he's still acting like he could play.
1: LeBron right now, he's getting stressed. I'm gonna be honest with you. LeBron in his prime when he was
0: in Cleveland, Like, nah. I think LeBron to get Jalen Rams in it work. I would still I would still say. Jalen just because I mean a lot of people think like if you're a wide receiver all you gotta do is run up and jump catch the ball and it's much more that goes into and I feel like especially a veteran like Jalen Ramsey he would know kind of the tricks of the trade Because it's not like first off it's not like LeBron James is just gonna like body him or like route him up that's not happening if anything he would just be hoping yeah of course like he would be trying to use his size to get an advantage but some of the best corners we've seen like despite not being the biggest guys on the field, always find a way to make things happen. And I think Jalen Ramsey would be able to. Now, that's not to say that I think that every corner in the NFL wouldn't be able to, you know, shut down LeBron, because I think there are some who would get worked by LeBron right now, regardless of him being 38. But Jalen Ramsey is not one of them. But the size, size definitely definitely may leads to a conversation, but I'm still going to go Jalen Ramsey. But you touched on it um, earlier with Zach Wilson, because a lot of people have had things to say about Zach Wilson. It's because he did not take accountability for the team's latest loss. When asked by a reporter following their 10-3 loss, (laughs) the Patriots, he was asked, do you feel like the Jets offense let the defense down? To which he replied, No. Unfortunately, nobody else agreed with that. For example, Jets head coach uh, Robert Sala had this to say about his offense. Simply put, he said it was dog shit, which it was. How dog shit was it? Here we go. Um, the Jets average the Jets average um, on each offensive play two point seven seven inches in the second half against the Patriots. Not to mention that in that game he had, Zach Wilson had nine completions compared to 10 punts. And also, how many times did that man get sacked? Because I know he got hit a lot too. He also was sacked four times and completed nine of his 22 passes. But on the bright side, I mean, he did lead the team with 26 rushing yards. In other words, everybody's still pissed off. And um, when asked about who was going to start this upcoming week against the Bears, Robert Sala was non committal, and it was announced today that Mr. Wilson was going to be benched in favor of Mike White. A lot has been going on. A lot of people have given their opinions about the Zach Wilson situation. But for you personally, do you feel like his lack of accountability for this most recent loss has put has done irreparable damage to that locker room? Um, I think Aaron Olasky said this. Um, and I don't normally agree with a lot of things that he says, but he essentially said, "When we win, it's a we. Yeah. When we lose, it's a me.
1: And especially given the fact that you only completed nine passes, and the offense looked like crap completely, and you just kind of didn't take any accountability whatsoever." Like, yeah, I definitely think he did. And, like, I would not be surprised you know, by once the offseason hits, you look up and he's not a part of the New
2: York Jets anymore.
0: Yeah, I do agree that it's a bad look. I mean, especially especially when you're a quarterback. Like, no matter what happens in a game, you're going to have to take the brunt of it. Russell Wilson is a prime example. He didn't play defense in that overtime loss, but everybody's going to be on his head because the Broncos lost that game. Tom Brady, another example. He had a so- solid game. I'm trying to think of an example. Because <sighs> he hasn't played terrible. Okay, the Ravens game, prime example. Defense couldn't get a stop or anything. Tom Brady played pretty well overall, but he has to take the accountability. I see the only quarterback in the league who really doesn't take much accountability for losses is Aaron Rodgers. But I mean, he has what, two or three MVPs, won a Super Bowl. This is 16th year. I don't think anybody in Green Bay is going to give him too much hell about it just because of who he is. But for a guy who's only in his second year and has been average at best, it's absolutely a bad look, especially because like that game was three and three almost the entire way. The Patriots won that game off of a last second punt return touchdown. It's not like this was a game that was already out of hand. The defense had played tremendous, just as many sacks as Zach Wilson was taking. Mac Jones was taking his licks too. And so for Zach Wilson to just take no accountability at all, it's pretty whack. So no, I think it has done a lot of damage. And I agree, I would be looking at a quarterback too, but it's like, what quarterback would you get? Like, Would you try to look towards the draft or would you try to look at a veteran? Like, being
2: honest, I don't know if it'll happen now that since he's been playing great for them since he's come
1: back. But if we get rumblings about the 49ers being willing to trade Jimmy G again, that's the first person I would look at. And a second, and I know he really hasn't touched the field, I would look at Garner Mitchum.
0: Part of Mitchell would be fun. Uh, yeah, I think Jimmy G would be a great one because, I mean, he does have familiarity with Robert Sala, who was the D.C. with the 49ers. So here are a few guys who will be free agents. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be an unrestricted free agent. I could see that happening. Actually, that's a really good idea. Uh, Tom Brady, I don't think he's going to New York. Uh, Baker, they could re-sign Joe Flacco. Andy Dalton maybe. It's not much going on. I'd I i do not want to put Lamar in that conversation because he's not. I'll say this. He's he may leave Baltimore, but he's not gonna leave for free. We getting something out of it. So yeah, I would agree with you. I think I think Jimmy G would be actually a perfect addition. Because I mean, if you are the 49ers, unless Jimmy G wins you a Super Bowl, I mean, he's probably gonna be on the way out unless you love him so much that you're willing to trade Trey Lance, but I don't think there'd be too much of a market for him. So, Jimmy G to New York does actually sound good. I'm actually, I'm in a green so I think I'm going to jump on the bandwagon. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. And we mentioned Aaron Rodgers a bit ago, and uh, Colin Cowher had a very interesting scenario for him uh, following their loss to the Packers, I mean, the Titans this past week. On the herd, he said that the Seahawks should trade for Aaron Rodgers this offseason. He said he thinks that they could trade for him a first and a second since Seattle has two of each. That's a pretty interesting take on it. One, because Seattle already mentioned that they were looking to extend Geno Smith. But for the sake of conversation, let's say Geno Smith wants more money than they're willing to give. Is Are the Seahawks a viable option for Aaron Rodgers in twenty
1: twenty three? I would say solely from the offensive side of the football, yes, because you won't have you won't this. Yes, you'll have to get chemistry with a rod, but you won't be dealing with wide receivers.
2: I hate to say it this way, you won't be dealing with wide receivers that just don't seem competent. Right. Like DK, we all
1: know. When he's at his best, he could be a top five wide receiver at his best. Um Tyler Lockett is a really, really good, really underrated wide out. And they have like these their tight end that can be almost some use like Noah Funt and Will Disney. So offensively, yes. The defense, yeah, but we all know if you just get if you give Aaron Rodgers some wide outs in the tight end and a running back that can make plays, which we
0: know that they have, he can make it work. So I would say yes. Yeah, I think – I can see it as well. I mean, I think – I've been on the bandwagon. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to retire after this year. But if he does stay, I don't think he's going to remain in Green Bay unless they actually do get him some weapons, which they have refused to do for years now. I mean, like you said, you go to Seattle, you get guys like a Tyler Lockett, you get D.K. – um, and then those tight ends, the offensive line has been much improved since drafting guys like Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas. The defense is a step down from Green Bay or at least what it's been in the past. But I mean, I think that offense, as we've seen with Geno Smith, can still get it going. And so I I could see it. I, I think it will work because I just don't. I don't really see much benefit of Aaron Rodgers staying in Green Bay because I don't think he's going to win a championship with them. Not that I think he's going to win a championship in Seattle either, but I feel like right now they may give him a better shot at doing so. But all right, let's go ahead, keep things going. Moving on to the AFC this time, though, let's talk the Miami Dolphins, who— um, Emmanuel Sanders, former NFL wide receiver, had this to say about the team. He said, I love the Miami Dolphins in the way that they're playing. To me right now, they are the best team, the scariest team in the NFL. I don't know. I wouldn't call them the best team, but scariest that may have some merit. So believable or buffoonery, the Dolphins are the scariest team in the league right now. I would
1: say, yeah. I would say believable. because When you have the offensive firepower that they have, like – Yes, Raheem Mostert is an off-injured running back, but he can have a game where he can carry the offense, and you have two of them with the weapons around him, as far as Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, and Mike Gesicki. Like, their offense is really potent, and well, you essentially have an offense where it's like, hey, very similar to the Chiefs' offense, but I think better because you have two guys that are just dynamic speedsters. You can hold them at bay and you look up and you throw out a bubble or you throw a slant and the wide receiver breaks one tackle and he's gone for 80 yards. And I think that, granted, I understand typically you want, when it gets time for the playoffs and things of that nature, you want to be able to kind of grind the game. You want a strong run game. You want a strong defense. But I mean, we've also seen this past year's Super Bowl where the um the Bengals, their best with their best bet was throw it up to Jamar. The the um the Rams, their best bet was to throw it up to Cooper Cook. And with this team, with the two guys at wide receiver, I think
2: they're terrifying.
0: I mean, I've seen it firsthand, you know, Baltimore had a big lead on a fourth quarter comes and they just erase it like that. Still pissed about that game. But I mean, yeah, I would I would say it's believable as well, just because I mean, yes, there are some questions with that defense and questions with regards to Tua and his health. But I mean, when those guys are gone, I mean, when you get past like Tyreek Hill and Jalen Wild on the outside, I mean, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is, because really, like you said, you could throw it on a bubble and they could take it 50 plus yards. You could give it to them on a slant, they could run, get it in for a touchdown, or you could implement them in the run game. And then you mentioned Raheem Mostert, but I mean, Jeff Wilson has been a great addition for them in that backfield. He's definitely been a more productive runner. So I would say, yeah, I would say the Dolphins are the scariest team uh, for sure. But like I said, it really just depends on health. But if they stay healthy, I mean, they're going to be a hard team to knock out, regardless of its regular season or playoff another team that's been getting some flag, as you mentioned, the probably the biggest enigma in the NFL, and that is the Dallas Cowboys. However, owner Jerry Jones seems very confident in his team. He said, I sure do think that what I see out there right now is a team that could go get a Super Bowl. It's an interesting, interesting discussion, but believable or buffoonery, the Dallas Cowboys are legitimate Super Bowl threats.
1: Like I said earlier, really, I think they're the biggest boom or bust. Like, I legitimately, especially being carried by their front seven, I legitimately can see the Cowboys making a run to the Super Bowl. But I also can see them, I
0: hate to coach Steven A., but I can see them being in a pressure situation and they drop the ball. I mean, they did it last year in the playoffs. Yeah, I guess 49. So, yeah. So
1: it's like, I'm going to tentatively say yes, but I also
0: see them fumbling in the bag. I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes with the asterisk because I do think that that offense needs more. I mean, Tony Pollard talked about a lot. He's been amazing. I mean, Ceedee Lamb is having an overall solid year, but the receiving core overall has been pretty disappointed. I mean, Tony Pollard had over 100 yards. Ceedee had five five catches for 45. Noah Brown had uh two for 42 three for 41 for Michael Gallup. So it's not crazy offensive numbers that these cats are putting up, excluding Tony Pollard. So the asterisk is, can they add to their offense more specifically? Can they get a guy like Odell Beckham who helps them to spread the field and helps get the passing game going? Then yes, because their front seven is arguably the best in the league. I mean, getting crazy pressure, but I just don't really trust that offense right now. And I think that if you can find a way to – if you can force that offense to try to score more than 28 points, give or take, I think that you can beat them. Because, unfortunately, a lot of the points that they were able to get against the Vikings were off turnovers or self-inflicted wounds. It really wasn't much of them stretching the field or really doing anything. So if you make them do the job themselves, I think that, as we've seen for a good part of the season, the Cowboys' offense will collapse within itself. All right, let's go ahead and move on to these next few questions, and they're all centered around being the greatest. You mentioned Cardinal Patterson a little bit ago, but I mean, he did uh, set the record for most kick returns for touchdowns after getting 103-yard TV against the Bears this past week. So, believable or buffoonery, getting this record makes him the greatest returner of all time? If we're talking about overall returner, no. We're talking about kick Returner, maybe. I'm going to say, I'm going to say no, even though he is amazing at it. I mean, nine touchdowns, that's insane. But even though he has the most, I don't think anybody, or at least in the last few years, because he hasn't been put in that role, but nobody's really looking at Cordell Patterson like, dang, don't kick the ball to him. You know, it's like when you had guys like Devin Hester or Josh Cribbs or Darren Sproles. It was like teams were very wary of kicking the ball in their direction. Whereas Cordell Patterson, it's like teams will still kick it to him if he scores. All right, I mean it is what it is, but teams don't necessarily fear him. And so I'm gonna say buffoonery because also then it begs the question of, well, if this makes Darren—I mean, not Darren, if this makes Cordell Patterson the greatest to do it then does that destroy Devin Hester's Hall of Fame argument? Because if he's not the best returner anymore, that was his claim to fame. That's the reason why people would discuss him even being in the Hall of Fame. So if he doesn't have that, then he's for sure not getting in. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say buffoonery. But right, this one, this is in your own backyard. And it's about Derrick Henry. Peter Schrager on Good Morning Football had this to say about the all pro back. He said, if Derrick Henry never takes another snap in the NFL, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. He added, he's the greatest running back of this generation. You cannot write the history of this sport and talk about this generation and not include Derrick Henry. That's some pretty bold words to say. So, let's say of running backs of the last five years, Derrick Henry is the greatest. I think it's believable. It's 100% true. Yeah, I don't see. Because I'm trying to think of running backs who would even kind of compare.
1: The only one that comes close my mind is
0: Nick Cole, but still is. No. <laughs> no disrespect, but nah. No, but when I say he close, I
1: mean like... Statistically. I five years. The only running back I
0: think of is Nick Cole, since he's dominant, is David Henry number
1: one.
0: Oh, yeah. And then Nick Chubb.
1: But like, but like Derrick Henry's level of dominance is like I'm not gonna say ten times because Nick Chubb is a really bad
2: dude, but it's significantly greater than Nick Chubb.
0: Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, if you're playing the be- if you're playing the Browns, you know Nick Chubb is going to be a factor. When you're playing the Titans, Derrick Henry is the factor. Derrick Henry has won the Titans many many games. And Nick Chubb, as of – this is, I think, the first year that they're actually committing to him being their guy. Because for the past – most of his career, they've been trying to make Baker happen. They've been trying to, like, have the game run through Baker when really Nick Chubb, when they gave him the ball, that's when the best things happen. Whereas the Titans, everybody in their mama knows that Derrick Henry is going to tote the rock 20 to 25-plus times a game, and nobody's been able to do anything to stop it. So, no, I think it's 100% true. He's the best running back of this generation. And I don't think it's really close. But our right, last question before we make our Week 12 NFL game picks. Continue on with the greatest conversation and after his three td t- performance against the Los Angeles Chargers, Patrick Mahomes shouted out his tight end and said that he is the greatest tight end of all time. And that's saying a lot because there have been some awesome ones. However, of course, there's always an argument. One of the biggest arguments, of course, is Ron Gronkowski, who with a tweet that had a pretty solid point was, 22 more touchdowns with 180 less catches is insane by comparison, comparing Gronk and Kelsey's numbers. No. Believable or buffoonery is killer Trav, the greatest tight end ever. No,
1: I'm going to
0: have to go with Ron. I'm, I'm going to disagree too. <sighs> I the thing is, I think I I would go Tony Gonzalez as the greatest. Just but Grok's numbers, of course, like I mean it's hard. You can't deny the numbers. The numbers are amazing. I think just overall impact, and considering that Tony Gonzalez has had to play with some not good quarterbacks for a good portion of his career and still put up the insane numbers that he did. I'd go Gonzalez, but of course, I totally understand the Gronk argument, but between if I had to pick a tight end to join a team right now between Travis Kelsey and Gronk, I would go Travis Kelsey just because of the current state of the NFL and how much of a passing league it is. Like a tight end who can block is amazing, but Travis Kelsey is an absolute game record. But I don't think he's the GOAT. Love him though, favorite tight end in the league. Go, that that's going a bit far. But all right, let's go ahead and make our Week 12 game picks, three games coming on tomorrow, starting with the Buffalo Bills versus the Detroit Lions. I would love the Detroit to make it four straight wins, but I think the Bills get them. Yeah, I got Dallas Cowboys versus the New York Giants. I think the Giants are about to start on a collapse. Uh, I got Cowboys. Oh uh, New England Patriots versus the Minnesota Vikings. I got Vikings getting back on track. Denver Broncos versus the Carolina Panthers, which, by the way, Sam Donald is getting the start, so this will be his first start of the year. I don't think it results in a victory. I got Broncos.
2: I got Panthers.
0: Washington Commanders versus the Atlanta Falcons. I think that Commanders win and Terry McLaurin goes crazy. Um, Commanders. Um, Miami Dolphins versus the Houston Texans. I got Dolphins. Cincinnati Bengals versus your Tennessee Titans. And apparently Jamar Chase is coming back. I got, I got, I got Titans. Respect. Um, Chicago Bears versus the New York Jets. Honestly, I don't really care who plays quarterback. I still was going to pick Jets because of that defense. Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Cleveland Browns. I got Tampa. Baltimore Ravens versus the Jacksonville Jaguars in what feels like a trap game, but I'm going to go Baltimore. Los Angeles Chargers versus the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Kyler Murray is expected to come back. I don't think it makes a difference. I got Chargers. Uh, Seattle Seahawks versus the Las Vegas Raiders. This is kind of a toss-up, but I think I'm going to go Seahawks. Seattle. San Francisco 49ers versus the New Orleans Saints. I got Niners. Kansas City Chiefs versus the Los Angeles Rams. I was going to pick the Chiefs even if I felt like Matthew Stafford was going to play. I don't think it's going to be close. (laughs) Sunday Night Football, Green Bay Packers versus the Philadelphia Eagles. I think this game is going to come down to the wire, but I still got Eagles. I don't know. The Eagles haven't looked like a blowout team these past couple of weeks. I think they gon they gonna tear uh they gonna tear Aaron Rodgers up. He's gonna get murdered back there. And
1: this, the corner they do roll James Bradbury and Slate against not great wide receivers. Yeah, I think is I think it's gonna make a hard a tough night for A Rod.
0: But can they stop Aaron Jones?
1: I mean, they
2: been decent against the run this past week, apparently. That's what I heard.
0: I oh, it was kind of hit or miss. J. Jonathan Taylor had some had some good runs, but I yeah he had an over eighty yards and a TD. Um, I'm still I still got Eagles though, but I think it's gonna be a bit closer. All right, and then Monday Night Football: Indianapolis Colts versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. I got Steelers. Yeah, I got
2: Pittsburgh.
0: All right, who are the players offensively, defensively, and rookies you are watching this week?
1: Offensively. Uh, we just talked about him. I'm going to be talking about Aaron Rodgers. Actually, no. I'm going to be talking about Jalen Hurts. I want to see, is he going to bounce back from a lackluster game against Indianapolis? And I'm also really just saying I want the Eagles blood the pack because I'm starting to really not like Aaron Rodgers. So I want him to be as unsuccessful as possible.
0: Totally fair. Offensively, I'm watching... You know what? I was going to go with Zach Wilson if he was going to play, but he's not playing. So I'm going to say Jamar Chase. I think he's going to be on a bit of a pitch count. I don't think he's going to be playing all game. But, I mean, if he does, I love Christian Fulton, but that's not a matchup he's going to win. So I'm just interested to see how he's going to be integrated back into this Bengals offense. All right, defensively, who you watching?
1: I'm going to the man that you just talked about, Jamar Chase coming back, I
0: want to see how he's going to match up. Low-key, I almost said Ryan Tannehill because he played terrible the last time these two teams played, so he's like a very close second for me. Um, Defensively, I'm watching Matt Judon. I mean, we just saw how crazy the Dallas Cowboys offensive – I mean, defensive front went against the Vikings. Matt Judon, I believe, still leads the league in sacks. I could be wrong. Yeah, he still leads the team league with 13. And I think he's gonna get his against the Vikings. I think he's gonna have to in order to be able to slow down this offense who's gonna be coming in with the point to prove with those stars. Um, and Dalvin Cook and Thielen, of course, Jay Jettis. So Maggie has to have a big game to be effective. All right, what well, Ricky you watching?
1: Ricky, I'm watching. Aiden
0: Hutchison. He has been have I mean, if you can slow I mean a big reason why the Browns were able to Keep the game with the Bills close for as long as they did because they weren't able to get a lot of pressure on Josh Allen. If you're going to get pressure, it's got to come from Aiden Hutchinson. Murphy is dead singly. I mean, he's had a really good rookie year, hasn't allowed a to touchdown all year. He's going up against probably his biggest test of the year thus far, going up against Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. And I want to see how he handles it. All right, who are you calling out this week? I think I know, but.
2: Who oh, I'm calling out? Um. Uh... I'm not going to lie, I think I'm going to call out the Bills. Okay.
1: And the reason being is just I know they had the game of the year against the Vikings. They won against the Browns in Detroit. But, like, I just feel like this game against – I mean, won against, yeah, one against the Browns in Detroit. But I feel like this game is a trap game for them. Like, you got a motivated, hungry, knee-biting Detroit Lions team playing on national TV, something that they haven't done rarely at all this season. Like, I can see them sneaking a dub when I'm calling out the Bills and saying, like, y'all better not let it happen. I'm
0: going to go Baltimore. I mentioned when we were making our predictions that I feel like the Jags are a trap game, Um, mainly because, I mean, Travis Etienne – we haven't really talked about him individually, but he's having a crazy year, especially since James Robinson was traded. And I mean, I ha- I'm not in love with Trevor Lawrence and anything, but I mean, their receiving core is solid. Their defense has shown some flashes. They played the uh, Chiefs very competitively this the, uh, before their bye, and I I can see it being one of those games that ends up being a bit too close for comfort. And especially after that last game against the Panthers, I'm just I'm a bit on my edge. So Baltimore, just let's not play down to our competition. Let's play like a 7-3 and three team, please. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA, starting with our Mamba Players of the Week. Out of the East, I got Giannis Antetokounmpo, not just because of the points, but also the work ethic. Everybody's seen the video of him trying to practice his free throws. Matre's Harold gets in the way, whatever. But not many people want to stay at an away court. To practice their free throws, especially after having a bad night at the line, it reminds me of something that Kobe would do. So I'm going Giannis. I'm going with the name that probably hasn't been
1: mentioned at all, but not many. I'm going with Tyrese Halliburton.
0: Tyrese Halliburton. It's it's a weird thing about the Pacers. Like nobody really talks about them, but like they have really good players. All right, but uh, my Western Mamba. Now this is somebody I know. I have not really talked about in a positive light all year, but I'm gonna give him his flowers. I'm going Anthony Davis. Uh, excluding la- the most recent loss against the Suns, I mean the Lakers have been on what a three four game winning streak, and AD has been a major part of that. Drop thirty seven and twenty one against the Suns previous before that against the Spurs, 30 and 18, 38 and 16 against the Detroit. I mean, I think that we're finally starting to see how good A D can be when he's healthy. But damn, it's hard getting him to stay healthy. Yeah. I mean I was going A D as well because I watched a majority
1: of his fans last night. And like A D just like he just looked light years better than everybody else the only thing is he didn't have outside of rush and Lonnie Walker it was like it just wasn't enough
0: unfortunately I mean and that's unfortunately kind of been the story of the season but no AD has definitely outplayed expectations all right my rookie mamba is Jay Nivey yeah me too all right, let's go ahead and move on to our top three takeaways of the week. Uh for me, starting at number three, it's it's put up a shut up time for Kyle Lowry. The Miami Heat over the past week have been absolutely decimated with injuries. Jimmy Butler, of course, Bam Adebayo has been in and out. Uh Tyler Harrow is still out of action. Seriously, it has been really tough sledding for the Miami Heat. However, that's why they bring in guys like Kyle Lowry, a name-brand guy to help out the team. However, there's already been so many criticisms about him being too old and him not being a good fit. I think that with everybody else out, this is the perfect time for Kyle Lowry to show that he can still play. Um,
1: number three, like the Bengals, I think this is the year as officially that the Sacramento Kings make the playoffs. And I hate to say it because my Mississippi's lost to them in the nail by the last night, but that team has a lot of really good players. Like
2: obviously De'Aaron Fox is the name that you first think of,
1: yeah. but Kevin Herter is a good shooter, and like the way that he just moves without the ball, and can just catch it in the and one fluid motion to rise up and shoot. You also have Harrison Bond who he knows is a really solid player. DeMontis
0: they, Sabonis is a bad DeMontis
1: man. Sabonis, yeah. And like he isn't even scoring and doing the things like he was when he was in Indiana. But he's essentially become like a point center for them. And like they have a really good team.
0: So right now there's a the third seed in the West. Of course I'm not gonna stay there, but what seed you think they're gonna get?
1: I can see them being anywhere between I would
0: say five to eight. I could see that. I could see them getting in on a play-in, especially if they can stay healthy. All right, my number two is, don't look now, but Ben Simmons is starting to hit his stride. I know over the past couple weeks, on the show, we talked a lot about Ben Simmons and his motivation, his confidence, things like that. But I mean, these past few games have been pretty nice 15 and 13 against Portland, 22 and 8 against Memphis. And then in his return to Philly, nearly had a triple double against them. I'm not saying that he's all of a sudden this superstar, but it's nice to finally see him kind of play almost to the level everyone expects him to be at.
1: Um, my number two, honestly, this has. Everything to do with the man and one year, to to he's moment. I cannot wait to see the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Philadelphia 76ers the next game. Because we, you alluded to the video Marchers and everything that happened. We all know that Giannis is a very hungry, motivated dude. And you do something like that, and you're just going to piss him off. And quite frankly, his next game. You kinda saw it. Like I watched I didn't watch the game, but I watched Giannis' highlights. He was dunking everything like he wanted to snatch the ram off the goal. So I think that's gonna be one of the most musty games um during this season.
0: I feel that is gonna be a fun one. Uh my number one is Oh honestly, I feel like the Grizzlies may have made a mistake bringing Ja back after missing one game. Uh, He suffered an ankle injury late last week. He missed one game, and then they brought him back, uh, as you mentioned, last night against the Kings. And, I mean, yes, he balled, dropped over 30 points, but it's still, like, I'll I'll elaborate more when we, like, really start talking about injuries around the league, but it's, like, I understand it's you already don't have Desmond Bain. You're still trying to kind of work in Triple J. And the last thing you need is job missing substantial time too. But I do think the Grizzlies may regret bringing him back so soon. Um,
1: my number one is injury related as well. I think that the amount of injuries to star players is gonna is gonna play a very big role in the um playoff outcomes at the end of the season. Like you look at the 76ers, their two best players. Uh, actually, all three, their three best players are out with injuries right now. Um, you look at the Grizzlies, they've had a multitude of injuries. You look at the Lakers, even though they aren't necessarily in the playoff fight, but they're they've been without some of their best players. And the Clippers, somebody made a very funny joke. They were saying they call AD Street Clubs, but what do you call Kawhi? Um so and he hasn't been he hasn't been playing that many games. And I think this is gonna play a huge part once it gets to the playoffs because it might be teams that ask y'all good enough to have a better seeding, but because they're without a player or two, they might get a tougher job a tougher task in the playoffs.
0: Yeah. I mean, and that's, you just mentioned a few teams, but I mean, CP3, I want to say he's still out for the Suns. Lonzo Ball is still out for the Bulls. I mean, across the board, there have been some pretty important pieces to their teams out of action. And so I think, I totally agree with that. I think once the season kind of wraps up and we get to the postseason, it's really going to be telling to see where these teams stack up. But I was going to look at some league news, starting with the Boston Celtics. Um, following a great start to the year where they act are the number one seed in the East currently with a thirteen and four record. It seems that the Boston Celtics are expected to make Joe Missoula their official head coach come the offseason, which is great. I mean, he's had leading the team to a lot of success, but that begs the question, what's next for Ime Udoka? Personally, I think that if they really believe in Joe Mazzula, they should just go ahead and cut ties with MA now so he can try to find a better job. Or not better, but find a different head coaching job. But what do you think? Well, no,
1: I definitely agree. Simply because if you're gonna to commit to Joe Mazouka long term, it's just like I hate to say it this way, but it's just like breaking up with somebody that you know you don't want to be with. Right. The
0: more you prolong it, the harder it's going to get. Yeah. And because right now it just seems like, it just seems like it may, he, because the closest he got was the whole Brooklyn situation. And I feel like there are going to be teams who are going to be able to look through the personal stuff and hire him is, and because he is a really good coach. And I think that with, but luckily the Celtics have kind of been blessed enough to have a string of good coaches and guys on their staff who can help lead this team to success. And so it's just like, like you mentioned, I mean, it's kind of like dating somebody, but you see somebody else on the side and see more of a future with them, just break up with the person that you with. And I think that should be the case for an MA. So what do you think would be the best fit for him? Let's just, excluding teams with current head coaches in place, what team do you think that he could really may have a good impact on?
2: So you Yeah. Um, I, for me,
1: the obvious answer is the Knicks. But outside of the Knicks, I would say Charlotte.
0: I, Charlotte could work. I don't... For me, that's hard. Um, I think he could, I think he could make it work in Dallas. I think, I like Jason Kidd as a coach, but I think he's kind of on borrowed time. I think that it's going to come down either this year or next year. It's going to come down to a period where like Mark Cuban is kind of frustrated that the Mavs aren't having more success than they, than what they've had so far. And so I do think that a guy like M.A. could come in and kind of, especially if they start Actually, putting more pieces around Luka to have success, I do think that could could turn out to be a really good fit. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to injury news because unfortunately, it's a lot of young guys who have been taken out. For example, Boston, I mean, not Boston, Detroit Pistons lose starting guard Katie Cunningham, who it is believed to have suffered a stress fracture and is out indefinitely. You kind of touched on it. The 76ers have already been rampaged with injuries, most recently to Tyrese Maxley, who's expected to be out for the next three to four weeks with a small fracture in his left foot. And then, as I mentioned, John Moran suffered a grade one left ankle sprain. He came back last night against the uh, Kings. But it still does beg the question, is it time to worry about John Moran's injury history? Throughout his career thus far, there's been a lot of comparisons between him and guys like a Derrick Rose or a John Wall, both guys who are incredibly explosive, but have had a lot of injuries. And to be fair, there has been some merit. So far this year, he's suffered four. No, actually, this year, he has suffered three, four, six injuries to lower body injury to his legs or lower body area. Three of them have been ankle injuries, including two this month. I mean, you've seen a lot of Ja. I know that's your guy, but are you starting to kind of get worried about those injuries?
1: Yeah. And the only reason I say no is because the way that he's, you know, like the ankle, most of his sprained ankles have come from him stepping on, someone, on someone's foot or landing. The only thing I would say is the landing awkwardly that's how he's also got a couple of, I think, one of the things that he will and he does need to change is he needs to kind of change the way that he attacks to help
2: prevent injuries. Like, sometimes you don't have to go for the spectacular,
1: like, mail or the the dump. Like, even last night against the Kings, it was a couple of times where he would drive to the basket and he would try to, Go directly to the basket, and it would be guys that beat him. When if he would have just stopped for a floater, it also would help from a standpoint of him as a player, and also from the injury standpoint because you're not getting that unnecessary contact. Because also another thing too, Josh gets a lot of contact, and he doesn't get a lot of calls, which is weird for him to be a guard. Normally guards
2: get a lot of calls so i'm not really worried about it simply because i've put, like i've seen a basketball and i've played a little
1: basketball to know like ankle sprains are going to happen now if it were let's say he had like
2: a tear or a partial tear then i'll be concerned but if most of these
1: lower body injuries been ankle sprains i hate to say it but this is just a part of basketball So I'm not
0: that worried. I'm not incredibly worried about it either, just because I think in the case of like Derrick Rose and John Wall, it was knee injuries that shut them down. And so far throughout John's career, he's only had one knee injury, and that was earlier in the year in the playoffs um, against the Warriors. And it wasn't anything incredibly serious. So, I'm with you. I'm not too worried about it. You know, knock on wood, of course, like we all love Jai. Like, we want him to stay as healthy as possible. So, hopefully, it doesn't become knee injuries. But if it keeps being like ankle sprains and stuff, I wouldn't read too much into it either. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our quick game of believable or buffoonery before we make our predictions for tonight's games. And we're going to start out in Dallas, where um, newly acquired Christian Wood admitted that he's not. Exactly, loving his time in Dallas. Um, in a recent interview, he's after playing just 17 minutes against Denver Nuggets. Um, a few nights ago, he said, "I would love to play more." I voiced that several times, but I just play my role. Um, his stats when he plays at least 15 minutes, he's averaging 22 points per game, 7.7 rebounds, shooting 57% from the field. But I mean, he has been playing pretty well, but believable or buffoonery. Christian Wood is being wasted in Dallas. I'm not going to say wasted. I think they're just trying to figure out how to
1: best utilize him. And it's the early portion of the season. And I know that they said that they didn't want to have him starting alongside Luca, but I think it would, vote. It would be better to maybe start him alongside Luca because of the element that he brings from an offensive standpoint. Like he's a guy that can play power forward center, that can dri- they can bring the ball and handle the ball and initiate offense. You can run pick and rolls and pick and pops. And he's just another guy that you don't have to look for Luca to do everything. And I think that's the diff- also a part of the difficulty is you're essentially bringing – you're essentially having Luke to do everything with the starters, and then you bring in Christian Wood, and he's doing everything from the bench, but he isn't getting enough, like, adequate minutes to, like, really be super
2: effective.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you. I don't – yeah, I wouldn't go as far as to say wasted either, but I do think that – I mean, you and I have talked about a lot about how Luke could needs some help, and Christian Wood could absolutely provide that, so I do think that he should get more playing time. Uh, before we go to our next question, just want to say, um, unfortunately, your Tennessee Titans didn't get the chance to pick up Daryl Henderson on waivers because the Jacksonville Jaguars did. So shout out to the Jacks for having two Memphis Tigers on their team, Daryl and uh, kicker Riley Patterson. So shout out to them. All right. Next question. Now, this one I have very strong opinions on. But it's about Braun Braun and his Lakers legacy. Rob Parker, in a recent interview, said as far as what they mean to Lakers organization, Kyle Gasol is light years more important than LeBron James. And he also added that the ring that the Lakers won in 2020 does not carry much weight in terms of Lakers canon. Let's just focus on the first pl- part of believable or and Pal Gasol is a more important Laker than LeBron James. Mm. Mm. Not even a thought. Not even a thought. Yes, LeBron won a ring in LA, and a ring is a ring. But I was not excited about that championship. Like st- historically, yes, we won a championship in 2020, but it didn't feel. It was the least. It's it's hard to describe it. I don't want to say it felt like a participation trophy because when you win a like when you win a championship, it's not supposed to feel like that, but it just felt it felt different. I'm sure the circumstances of the bubble played into that. But it's just like when I think of like Lakers greats, LeBron James is not even a blip on that radar. Whereas Pal Gasol, Kobe Bryant said it himself, like before the team traded for him. Um, in 2009 when they were trying to get back to the NBA finals after losing to the Celtics who I still hate they needed Pal Gasol and once Powell came in it created an entirely different dynamic sure he wasn't the most impressive scorer or rebounder or whatever but he was so ingrained in the culture of LA to where I'm not gonna say Kobe wouldn't have won a ring without him but he absolutely helped the Lakers repeat and be the champions that we know of today. So, yeah, no, this is incredibly believable. they not even a conversation. Not even close. But right, let's make our game picks for tonight. And there's quite a few games starting off with the Minnesota Timberwolves versus the Indiana Pacers. I'm going to go Pacers. I think
1: they're going to be one of them.
0: That's fair. Portland Trailblazers versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. I got Cavs. Philadelphia 76ers versus the Charlotte Hornets. I'm going Hornets. Sacramento Kings versus the Atlanta Hawks. I'm going Kings. Dallas Mavericks versus the Boston Celtics. I'm going Celtics. Washington Wizards versus the Miami Heat. I'm going Wizards. Brooklyn Nets versus the Toronto Raptors. I'm I think I'm going to go Dents. I'm going Raptors. Chicago Bulls versus the Milwaukee Bucks. I got Bucks. <laughs> New Orleans Pelicans versus the San Antonio Spurs. I'm going Pelicans. <laughs> uh, Denver Nuggets versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm going Nuggets. Nuggets. Detroit Pistons versus the Utah Jazz. I'm going, I'm going go Jazz. All right, last but certainly not least, the Los Angeles Clippers versus the Golden State Warriors. Both teams have been struggling to this point. I think I'm gonna go Warriors because they're healthier.
2: Uh
1: who is Kawhi the person
0: out LA? Uh, that is a terrific question. No, PG's not playing either. Never. Yeah, I'm definitely going Warriors. Alright now it is time to make my Survivor Series War Games predictions and I'm not gonna lie to you this is probably the first WWE pay-per-view since maybe SummerSlam that I've been really really actually I was excited for Extreme Rules but Survivor Series War Games. I wish I had Keezy or William Regal to do the proper War Games introduction, but unfortunately you got just me, but I'm really excited for this show. I think it's going to be pretty awesome. Um, Starting off with AJ Styles versus Finn Balor. I, I picked uh AJ Styles last pay-per-view mainly because I thought that you know Judgment Day they were not gonna have the Judgment Day kind of get the better of him again or at least the OC but I was wrong but this time I'm sticking with AJ Styles um in the OC I think that they end up pulling it out getting the win mainly because I don't think the Judgment Day really needs it and then plus with Mia Yim back I think it does kind of even the odds so Rhea Ripley can't have such um a strong impact on the outcome of the match honestly I'd be cool with you know finn balor winning just because i'm a big fan of the judgment day but i think it also makes total sense to have aj win moving on to the triple threat match for the united states championship we have seth rollins defending his title against bobby lashley and austin theory this new austin theory no longer the prototype no longer the next big thing no longer the kid and i I really like this new austin theory and if it weren't for the United States Championship being on the line, I think that I would have picked him. But, I mean, Seth just became champion, and I think that right now you kind of have to keep him as champion. Like, there's no real reason to change to change it just yet, especially because, I mean, like I said, I mean, he's just now got his first title reign and I don't remember how many, like, years it had been. I know at least, like, two, which is kind of crazy to think considering just how talented and how important um, – seth rollins has been just to the overall scope of wrestling so i think he you know more than deserves to have a lengthy title run. and i mean if I see with that last dig the cody Rhodes. of course he's going to, going to end up facing roman at some point but i mean wouldn't it be cool to see you know the american nightmare against seth rollins for united states championship really build up the prestige of that belt, especially since they still haven't you know separated the undisputed not undisputed i'm sorry the wwe universal championships i think that'd be dope but with all that being said, I got Seth. SmackDown Women's Championship, not going to lie to you, still really haven't watched SmackDown consistently, but even if I did, I still wouldn't care about this match. I got Ronda. Now to the War Games matches that are going to be certified bangers. We have the five-on-five Women's War Games match with Damage Control along with Nikki Cross. I don't think she's technically a part of Damage Control yet, but who knows. And Rhea Ripley versus my girl and Raw Women's Champion, Bianca Belair, Alexa Bliss, Asuka, Mia Yim, and unnamed tag team partner. Before I make my pick, I'm, I think the partner is gonna be Becky Lynch i try to avoid as many spoilers as I can, but I mean, it's hard to really do that. And though I haven't said anything that explicitly says that Becky Lynch is going to be the fifth member, I think it makes a lot of sense, especially if she is healthy. The only other option I really could see is Candice LeRae. I would love for a Sasha Banks or a Naomi, but I think more realistically, it's either going to be Candice LeRae or Becky Lynch. And because there's so much hype being brought into it, I do think that it's more than likely going to be Becky. Um, and also, I think it can really set up a nice feud for Bailey to go up against be- Becky, especially because, I mean, technically, you know, kayfabe-wise, Damage Control is the reason why she was out of action for three months anyway, so I think Becky's gonna be the next team member, and as much as having Becky around makes me wanna pick Damage Control... I feel like damage control needs to win. Um, more specifically, Bailey needs to win. But I think to kind of keep their legitimacy, I think they have to win. And plus, I mean, Rhea Ripley's a bad mofo, and I have a hard time picking against certain War Against matches because she's pretty. Pretty ball saddle. Next up, the 5-on-5 five five men's war games match. We have the Bloodline, a.k.a. Roman Reigns, our tribal chief. Jay and Jimmy Uso, Solo Sokoa, and Sami Zayn. Versus the brawling brutes made up of Rich Holland, Sheamus, and Pete Dunne, because Butch is still a stupid name, along with Drew McIntyre and Kevin Owens. Those of you guys who've been listening for a long time, you guys know how much I love me some Pete Dunne and how much I love me some Kevin Owens. But... I'm still going bloodline here. I just think that at this point, not to say that the bloodline is untouchable and they shouldn't lose again, but it's like I don't see them losing this. Like, yes, there are no titles on the line, so it makes it a little bit less stakes. But, I mean, it is also the first quote-unquote main roster war games match, uh, at least for the men. So, I do think that you at least – I'll say this, I'd be very shocked if they didn't win. Like, it makes total sense for them not to win. I think the world will continue spinning. And it could create some really good storylines down the line. But I don't see them beating the bloodline. I just think the bloodline's a bit too. Bit too OP at this point. But uh, that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out the export.net. I repeat, the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes are a lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The Extraport. Um, for myself, you already know what it is. Uh, go Tigers, go. Love Memphis. Uh, go Tigers. Beat Texas AM because they're talking a lot of smack for a team that only has what three or four wins on the season because they're busters and bums. Baltimore, please don't let me down against the Jags. That that feels like a trap game. And uh, Ethan's not here, but I know he'd be rooting for the Grizzlies, which, you know, go Grizz. And um, Memphis, of course. And, oh, yeah, Titans. Who did they play this week? They played the Bengals this week. So, Admittedly, I'm recording this before the actual predictions for this week, but uh, y'all know I want to see Joey B and hopefully Jamar Chase go off. But we'll see how it goes. Thank you guys again so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.